Chapter 7 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 4, Part 2, Urban Grandier by Alexandre Dumas, translated by George Burnham Ives. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 The last two exorcisms had been so much talked about in the town that Grandier, although he had not been present, knew everything that had happened, down to the smallest detail. So he once more laid a complaint before the bailiff, in which he represented that the nuns maliciously continued to name him during the exorcisms as the author of their pretended possession, being evidently influenced thereto by his enemies, whereas in fact not only had he had no communication with them, but had never set eyes on them, that in order to prove that they acted under influence it was absolutely necessary that they should be sequestered, it being most unjust that Mignon and Bada, his mortal enemies, should have constant access to them and be able to stay with them night and day, their doing so making the collusion evident and undeniable. That the honor of God was involved, and also that of the petitioner, who had some right to be respected, seeing that he was first in rank among the ecclesiastics of the town. Taking all this into consideration, he consequently prayed the bailiff to be pleased to order that the nuns, buffering from the so-called possession, should at once be separated from each other and from their present associates, and placed under the control of clerics assisted by physicians, in whose impartiality the petitioner could have confidence, and he further prayed that all this should be performed in spite of any opposition or appeal whatsoever, but without prejudice to the right of appeal, because of the importance of the matter and in the case the bailiff were not pleased to order the sequestration, the petitioner would enter a protest and complaint against his refusal as a withholding of justice. The bailiff wrote at the bottom of the petition that it would be at once complied with. After Urbain Grandier had departed, the physicians who had been present at the exorcisms presented themselves before the bailiff, bringing their report with them. In this report they said that they had recognized convulsive movements of the mother superior's body, but that one visit was not sufficient to enable them to make a thorough diagnosis, as the movements above mentioned might arise as well from a natural as from supernatural causes. They therefore desired to be afforded opportunity for a thorough examination before being called on to pronounce an opinion. To this end they required permission to spend several days and nights uninterruptedly in the same room with the patients, and to treat them in the presence of other nuns and some of the magistrates. Further, they required that all the food and medicine should pass through the doctor's hands, and that no one should touch the patients except quite openly, or speak to them except in an audible voice. Under these conditions they would undertake to find out the true cause of the convulsions, and to make a report of the same. It being now nine o'clock in the morning, the hour when the exorcisms began, the bailiff went over at once to the convent and found Bada halfway through the mass, and the superior in convulsions. The magistrate entered the church at the moment of the elevation of the host, and noticed among the kneeling Catholics a young man named de Sentier standing up with his hat on. He ordered him either to uncover or to go away. At this the convulsive movements of the superior became more violent, and she cried out that there were Huguenots in the church, which gave the demon great power over her. Bada asked her how many there were present, and she replied, Two thus proving that the devil was no stronger in arithmetic than in Latin, for besides the Sentier, Councillor Abraham Gautier, one of his brothers, four of his sisters, René Fourneau, a deputy, and an attorney called Angevin, all of the Reformed faith were present. As Bada saw that those present were greatly struck by this numerical inaccuracy, he tried to turn their thoughts in another direction, by asking the superior if it were true that she knew no Latin. On her replying that she did not know a single word, he held the pyx before her and ordered her to swear by the holy sacrament. 
She resisted at first, saying loud enough for those around her to hear, "'My father, you make me take such solemn oaths that I fear God will punish me.' To this Bada replied, "'My daughter, you must swear for the glory of God.' And she took the oath. Just then one of the bystanders remarked that the mother superior was in the habit of interpreting the catechism to her scholars. This she denied, but acknowledged that she used to translate the paternoster and the creed for them. As the superior felt herself becoming somewhat confused at this long series of embarrassing questions, she decided on going into convulsions again, but with only moderate success, for the bailiff insisted that the exorcist should ask her where Grandier was at the very moment. Now, as the ritual teaches that one of the proofs of possession is the faculty of telling, when asked, where people are without seeing them, and as the question was propounded in the prescribed terms, she was bound to answer, so she said that Grandier was in the great hall of the castle. "'That is not correct,' said the bailiff, "'for before coming here I pointed out a house to Grandier, and asked him to stay in it till I came back. If anybody will go there, they will be sure to find him.' for he wished to help me to discover the truth without my being obliged to resort to sequestration, which is a difficult measure to take with regard to nuns. Bada was now ordered to send some of the monks present to the castle, accompanied by a magistrate and a clerk. Bada chose the Carmelite prior and the bailiff Charles Chauvet, assessor of the bailiwick, Ismael Beaulieu, a priest, and Pierre Thibault, an articled clerk, who all set out at once to execute their commission, while the rest of those present were to await their return. Meanwhile, the superior, who had not spoken a word since the bailiff's declaration, remained in spite of repeated exorcisms dumb. So Bada sent for Sister Claire, saying that one devil would encourage the other. The bailiff entered a formal protest against this step, insisting that the only result of a double exorcism would be to cause confusion, during which suggestions might be conveyed to the superior, and that the proper thing to do was, before beginning new conjurations, to await the return of the messengers. Although the bailiff's suggestion was most reasonable, Bada knew better than to adopt it, for he felt that no matter what it cost, he must either get rid of the bailiff and all the other officials who shared his doubts, or find means, with the help of Sister Claire, to delude them into belief. The lay sister was therefore brought in, in spite of the opposition of the bailiff and the other magistrates, and as they did not wish to seem to countenance a fraud, they all withdrew, declaring that they could no longer look on at such a disgusting comedy. In the courtyard they met their messengers returning, who told them they had gone first to the castle and had searched for the great hall and all the other rooms without seeing anything of Grandier. They had then gone to the house mentioned by the bailiff, where they found him for whom they were looking, in the company of Père Verret, the confessor of the nuns, Mazarin Rousseau, and Nicolas Benoit, canons, and Comte, a doctor, from whom they learned that Grandier had not been an instant out of their sight for the last two hours. This being all the magistrates wanted to know, they went home, while their envoys went upstairs and told their story, which produced the effect which might be expected. Thereupon a Carmelite brother, wishing to weaken the impression, and thinking that the devil might be more lucky in his second guess than the first, asked the superior where Grandier was just then. She answered without the slightest hesitation that he was walking with the bailiff in the church of Saint-Croix. A new deputation was at once sent off, which, finding the church empty, went on to the palace and saw the bailiff presiding at a court. He had gone direct from the convent to the palace and had not yet seen Grandier. The same day the nuns sent word that they would not consent to any more exorcisms being performed in the presence of the bailiff and the officials who usually accompanied him, and that for the future they were determined to answer no questions before such witnesses. 
Grandier, learning of this piece of insolence, which prevented the only man in whose impartiality he could reckon from being henceforward present at the exorcisms, once more handed in a petition to the bailiff, begging for the sequestration of the two nuns no matter at what risk. The bailiff, however, in the interests of the petitioner himself, did not dare to grant this request, for he was afraid that the ecclesiastical authorities would nullify his procedure, on the ground that the convent was not under his jurisdiction. He, however, summoned a meeting of the principal inhabitants of the town in order to consult with them as to the best course to take for the public good. The conclusion they arrived at was to write to the attorney-general and to the bishop of Poitiers, enclosing copies of the reports which had been drawn up and imploring them to use their authority to put an end to these pernicious intrigues. This was done, but the attorney-general replied that the matter being entirely ecclesiastical, the parliament was not competent to take cognizance of it. As for the bishop, he sent no answer at all. He was not, however, so silent toward Grandier's enemies, for the ill success of the exorcisms of November 26th having made increased precautions necessary, they considered it would be well to apply to the bishop for a new commission, wherein he should appoint certain ecclesiastics to represent him during the exorcisms to come. Abada himself went to Poitiers to make this request. It was immediately granted, and the bishop appointed Basile, senior canon of Champigny, and Demarans, senior canon of Toise, both of whom were related to some of Grandier's adversaries. The following is a copy of the new commission. Henri-Louis Le Chatagnier de la Rochepetaille, by the divine will, bishop of Poitiers, to the senior canons of the Chalet de Saint-Pierre de Troyes and de champigny Serves, greeting. We, by these presents, command you to repair to the town of Laudon, to the convent of the nuns of St. Ursule, to be present at the exorcism which will be undertaken by Sir Barre upon some nuns of the said convent who are tormented by evil spirits, we having thereto authorized the said Barre. You are also to draw up a report of all that takes place, and for this purpose are to take any clerk you may choose with you. Given and done at Poitiers, November 28, 1632. Signed, Henri-Louis, Bishop of Poitiers, countersigned by order of the said Lord Bishop Michelet. These two commissioners, having been notified beforehand, went to Laudon, where Marascot, one of the Queen's chaplains, arrived at the same time, for the pious Queen, Anne of Austria, had heard so many conflicting accounts of the possession of the Ursulite nuns that she desired for her own edification to get to the bottom of the affair. We can judge what importance the case was beginning to assume by its being already discussed at court. In spite of the notice which had been sent them that the nuns would not receive them, the bailiff and the civil lieutenant, fearing that the royal envoy would allow himself to be imposed on, and would draw up an account which would cast doubt on the facts contained in their reports, betook themselves to the convent on December 1st, the day on which the exorcisms were to recommence, in the presence of the new commissioners. They were accompanied by their assessor, by the provost lieutenant, and a clerk. They had to knock repeatedly before anyone seemed to hear them, but at length a nun opened the door and told them they could not enter, being suspected of bad faith as they had publicly declared that the possession was a fraud and an imposture. The bailiff, without wasting his time arguing with the sister, asked to see Bada, who soon appeared arrayed in his priestly vestments and surrounded by several persons, among whom was the queen's chaplain. The bailiff complained that admittance had been refused to him and those with him, although he had been authorized to visit the convent by the bishop of Poitiers. Bada replied that he would not hinder their coming in as far as it concerned him. "'We are here with the intention of entering,' said the bailiff, 
and also for the purpose of requesting you to put one or two questions to the demon which we have drawn up in terms which are in accordance with what is prescribed in the ritual. I am sure you will not refuse, he added, turning with a bow to Marascot, to make this experiment in the presence of the queen's chaplain, since by that means all those suspicions of imposture can be removed which are unfortunately so rife concerning this business. In that respect I shall do as I please, and not as you order me was the insolent reply of the exorcist. "'It is, however, your duty to follow legal methods in your procedure,' returned the bailiff, "'if you sincerely desire the truth, for it would be an affront to God to perform a spurious miracle in his honour, and a wrong to the Catholic faith, whose power is in its truth to attempt to give adventitious luster to its doctrines by the aid of fraud and deception.' "'Sir,' said Bara, "'I am a man of honour. I know my duty, and I shall discharge it. But as to yourself, I must recall to your recollection that the last time you were here you left the chapel in anger and excitement, which is an attitude of mind most unbecoming in one whose duty it is to administer justice. Seeing that these recriminations would have no practical result, the magistrates cut them short by reiterating their demand for admittance, and on this being refused they reminded the exorcists that they were expressly prohibited from asking any questions tending to cast a slur on the character of any person or persons whatever under pain of being treated as disturbers of the public peace at this warning bada saying that he did not acknowledge the bailiff's jurisdiction shut the door in the faces of the two magistrates as there was no time to lose if the machinations of his enemies were to be brought to naught the bailiff and the civil lieutenant advised grandier to write to the archbishop of bordeaux who had once already extricated him from imminent danger, setting forth at length his present predicament. This letter, accompanied by the reports drawn up by the bailiff and the civil lieutenant, was sent off at once by a trusty messenger to his grace of Escableau de Sourdis. As soon as he received the dispatches, the worthy prelate, seeing how grave was the crisis, and that the slightest delay might be fatal to Grandier, set out at once for his abbey of saint jouet les mames the place in which he had already vindicated in so striking a manner the upright character of the poor persecuted priest by a fearless act of justice. It is not difficult to realize what a blow his arrival was to those who held a brief for the evil spirits in possession. Hardly had he reached saint jouin than he sent his own physician to the convent, with orders to see the afflicted nuns and to test their condition, in order to judge if the convulsions were real or simulated. The physician arrived, armed with a letter from the archbishop, ordering Mignon to permit the bearer to make a thorough examination into the position of affairs. Mignon received the physician with all the respect due to him who sent him, but expressed great regret that he had not come a little sooner, as, thanks to his, Mignon's, exertions, and those of Bada, the devils had been exercised the preceding day. He nevertheless introduced the archbishop's envoy to the presence of the superior and Sister Clare, whose demeanor was as calm as if they had never been disturbed by any agitating experiences. Mignon's statement being thus confirmed, the doctor returned to saint Joanne, the only thing to which he could bear testimony being the tranquillity which reigned at the moment in the convent. The imposture being now laid so completely bare, the archbishop was convinced that the infamous persecutions to which it had led would cease at once and forever. But Grandier, better acquainted with the character of his adversaries, arrived on the 27th of December at the abbey and laid a petition at the archbishop's feet. In this document, he set forth that his enemies, having formerly brought false and slanderous accusations against him of which, 
through the justice of the archbishop, he had been able to clear himself, had employed themselves during the last three months in inventing and publishing as a fact that the petitioner had sent evil spirits into the bodies of nuns in the Ursuline convent of Laudon, although he had never spoken to any of the sisterhood there, that the guardianship of the sisters who, it was alleged, were possessed, and the task of exorcism, had been entrusted to Jean Mignon and Pierre Barra, who had in their most unmistakable manner shown themselves to be the mortal enemies of the petitioner, that, in the reports drawn up by the said Jean Mignon and Pierre Barra, which differed so widely from those made by the bailiff and the civil lieutenant, it was boastfully alleged that three or four times devils had been driven out, but that they had succeeded in returning and taking possession of their victims again and again, in virtue of successive pacts entered into between the Prince of Darkness and the petitioner, that the aim of these reports and allegations was to destroy the reputation of the petitioner and excite public opinion against him, that although the demons had been put to flight by the arrival of his grace, yet it was too probable that as soon as he was gone they would return to the charge, that if, such being the case, the powerful support of the archbishop were not available, the innocence of the petitioner, no matter how strongly established, would by the cunning tactics of his inveterate foes be obscured and denied. He, the petitioner, therefore prayed that should the foregoing reasons prove on examination to be cogent, the archbishop would be pleased to prohibit Barra, Mignon, and their partisans, whether among the secular or the religious clergy, from taking part in any future exorcisms, should such be necessary or in the control of any persons alleged to be possessed. Furthermore, petitioner prayed that his grace would be pleased to appoint as a precautionary measure such other clerics and lay persons as seemed to him suitable to superintend the administration of food and medicine and the rite of exorcism to those alleged to be possessed, and that all the treatment should be carried out in the presence of magistrates. The archbishop accepted the petition and wrote below it, The present petition having been seen by us, and the opinion of our attorney having been taken in the matter, we have sent the petitioner in advance of our said attorney back to Poitiers, that justice may be done him, and in the meantime we have appointed Sir Barre, Père Lascaille, a Jesuit residing in Poitiers, Père Gaut of the Oratory residing at Tours, to conduct the exorcisms should such be necessary, and have given them an order to this effect. It is forbidden to all others to meddle with the said exorcisms, on pain of being punished according to law." It will be seen from the above that his grace, the Archbishop of Bordeaux, in his enlightened and generous exercise of justice, had foreseen and provided for every possible contingency, so that as soon as his orders were made known to the exorcists, the possession ceased at once and completely, and was no longer even talked of. Bada withdrew to Chinon, the senior canons rejoined their chapters, and the nuns, happily rescued for the time, resumed their life of retirement and tranquillity. The archbishop nevertheless urged on Grandier the prudence of effecting an exchange of benefices, but he replied that he would not at that moment change his simple living of Laudon for a bishopric. End of chapter 7. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.